Good morning, everyone. Have you barbecued yet this weekend? I mean, it's not Canada Day weekend unless you barbecued, so I'm hopeful. I barbecued last night, and I plan to barbecue at least one more time before Monday is done. Well, aren't you glad that we get to live in Canada? It is a blessing. One of the blessings is that we get to do this, that we can gather and we can worship and we can lift up the name of Jesus. Do you know that there's nations around the world that we couldn't do what we're doing right now? So we should be very grateful that we can come and gather and lift up the name of Jesus. Well, I'm not preaching this morning, but it's time to worship God with our tithes and offerings. Um, There's instructions, I think, coming up on the screen. If not, you can give um, on our website at the giving page, and then you can also give at our giving kiosk at the back of the auditorium. There's offering envelopes in the seat pocket in front of you. You can give those back at the kiosk. Just a reminder about our legacy offering uh, that we are giving towards the renovations uh, that they're taking back 1,000 square feet from our tenant. That goal is $70,000. So far, over $27,000 has come in. So that's exciting. So we're going to, amen. So we're going to be continuing to give to that all month long um, as we want to reach that goal to be able to start those renovations this fall. I'm just going to read to you this morning from Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, before we give today. You know, the Philippian church was one of Paul's partner churches, so they would send him offerings to be able to continue to do his ministry, and he said this to them, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. So this Philippian church, they really supported his ministry. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment. I have more than enough. I am amply supplied. That I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts which you sent. Now listen. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, we know when we give, practically speaking here at the church, it enables us to do a ministry and enables us to have the air conditioning on this morning. Are you thankful for that? Praise God for that. But then also something spiritual takes place, that our offerings we are giving with love for God from our heart. We're not giving because we have to give or we're compelled to give. We are giving because we are in God's family. We are giving because we're worshiping God. We're honoring him with our tithes and offerings. The first part of everything that comes into our lives, what are we doing? We're showing God. God, you have given me everything I have. And then what happens? This is an acceptable sacrifice. It's well-pleasing to God when we give. So aren't you thankful that we have an opportunity to give this morning? Amen. Let's pray together today. Father God, we're so thankful for your generosity in our lives, that you have provided everything for our lives. And so we just give back to you today with joy. We thank you, Lord, that this comes up before you and it worships you. We are so glad to be able to give today. We honor you with our tithes and offerings. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Well, I just have a couple of announcements uh, this morning before I introduce our guest today. Uh, We have a Serve Saturday coming up to Scott Mission. Now, one of the things that we love to do as a church, we love to serve our city and the surrounding region. So Scott Mission is one of those organizations that we've partnered with over the years. So coming up Friday, July 28th, uh, we're going to Scott Mission called The Hub to prepare food and clothing donations. Uh, You can sign up online or at the info desk. There are limited spaces available for that. So if you have that Friday, 
and you would love to take that opportunity to go and serve at the Scott Mission, you can sign up for that after the service. And then also this Saturday, our young adults are going to the beach which is a great thing to do in the summertime. We're going to Kelso Beach. I say we, I'm not going, I'm not a young adult. But the royal we, so to speak, (laughs) the young adults are going uh, to Kelso. I mean, it's the closest reasonable beach out there as Ontario beaches go. So that's coming up this Saturday at 1 p.m. If you are a part of the uh, young adult group mailing list, you've already got this information. If you aren't a part of that, if you're between the ages of 18 and 35, you can sign up for that at the info desk. But come this Saturday, it's gonna be a great time hanging out at Kelso. All right, we have some guests with us today here. We have Pastor Brandon and Emma Richardson from Slate Church. Amen. Truly, they are part of our family here at City Church. Uh, Pastor Brandon is part of the leadership here of our church. We are partners in ministry in every way that we can imagine. A a couple weeks ago, I mentioned on Father's Day about uh, how our churches are collectively gonna be planning to train up other pastors and ministers um, for the province of Ontario. We planted some churches. We're gonna plant some more churches. We're gonna train some more pastors, and we're gonna gladly do that together. Um, So let's give Pastor Brandon a welcome as he comes to the church. Stage this morning. All right. Well, thanks for having me uh, again. I, every time I leave here, I'm like, I don't know if they're going to have me next time. But uh, it's always good being back, and I'm just so thankful for all of you. And um, thankful for Pastor Brent, Nicole. And, you know, I always like to give a bit of an update of what's happening at Slate Church when I come. Last time we had bought a, purchased our first building as a church, which was really exciting. And uh, since that, yeah, that's really exciting. <laughs> For a church plant that wasn't yet five years old, we were really thankful to God that we were able to purchase a, um, what was previously a Bible college's property. And uh, since that time, we've actually um, taken on leadership of the Bible college, which is really interesting. And so... Um, the reason that I mention this isn't even just so that you guys can hear the amazing things God's doing in Waterloo, although I hope it's encouraging to you, but the reality is, is that your pastor is also serving on the board of that church, and uh, I serve on your board, and uh, I love board meetings here at City Church because Brent has a way of getting them done within a lunch hour, and uh, I'm just like, I, I will take a lunch hour board meeting any day. I'm not as friendly to Pastor Brent because I'll invite him to our board meeting. And uh, I think this past week we had one that went to 1130 at night. I I just see Brent like, could you please, please model this after what I'm doing? Learn from me. Follow me. Um, But uh, your pastors give so much to our church and uh, we're so thankful for all of you and the generosity that comes out of this church. Uh, We arrived at the hotel last night and uh, our kids were given this like little welcome basket. And uh, in it was a whole bunch of pool toys because we're at a, at a hotel with a pool. And uh, they get all these things out. They're all excited about it. And they get out this one uh, pool toy where you have to suck up the water and then you can spray it across the pool. So my son immediately opens this thing up in the pool and he's spraying everybody in the... And everybody's like looking at him and I'm like, what, it's not my fault, it's City Church's fault. <laughs> so there might be a few people that are angry at City Church this morning, but that's okay. Of course, I didn't blame anybody. I just told them to stop doing that, but... It's good to be here, and um, you get the lesser of the two Richardsons today. Emma's uh, here on the front row, and uh, she's just wonderful, and we have four kids, um, and that's it. Every other time I came here, I'd say we had one more kid. That's, we're done. It's, uh, I'm going to speak to you today. Um, 
I was reflecting on what, what, you know, what would God put on my heart for City Church this morning, and uh, God brought me back to a, a passage. I actually had to check to make sure I didn't speak this message here before, because it's something that's been living in my heart for the last probably eight months. And I, uh, we're going to find ourselves today in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Give you a little bit of context for what we're talking about. Um, today, we're gonna speak on the, I'm going to speak on the subject of the good life. And I think it's a life that all of us want to live. Most of us want to live a good life. And even if we were to flip that question on its head and I would ask you, well, do you want to live a bad life? Most people would be like, okay, well, I might not want to live a good life, but I certainly don't want to live a bad life. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, the context of what we're reading this morning is Peter, who is, uh, was a part of Jesus' inner circle, is writing to a group of Christians in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, that is finding itself under intense persecution from Emperor Nero. They fled to Asia Minor to basically be away from a lot of that persecution. They're on the run. And Peter has two primary reasons in which he's writing this letter to the church in modern-day Turkey. The two, the two reasons is, are, are, are as follows. The first one is this is a a church that is on the run and very nomadic, that is going place to place to place. He's trying to encourage them, listen, you don't just belong to something that's on the run, but you actually belong to a family. And the second thing that he's trying to remind the church in its early and humble beginnings is that they actually have something to offer a world, even a world that is persecuting them. And so this is where we find ourselves in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says this. He says this to the church. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You know, ever since I was a young boy, um, I've had it in my heart to just see God move in our country. I know this isn't normal for most people. I know that a lot of us have met God later in life. I know there's a lot of us that went through a lot of uh, trying out other things before we realized that Christ was the answer. But ever since I was a little boy, something was different about me. And of course, we all say this. All of us believe that we are unique, and that's the very thing that's not unique about us, right? Everybody's like, I'm so unique. And it's like, well, that's, that's kind of the thing that makes us not unique, because we're all unique. But as a child, I remember I would, I would take out all of these stuffed animals from my closet and I would set them up and I'd set them up in front of me and I'd just preach at them. I would just like, let it fly to these stuffed animals. And that's where I got used to preaching to Christians that just look at me blankly. I'm like, <laughs> even if I get a little bit of a reaction, I'm feeling like I'm doing good. For years, nobody responded to my messages. Nobody got saved, except for my blue little stuffy I gave to my son and but this is what I would do with my life. I just had such a passion to see God move in my, in my life. I, I, fa- I felt like I found something. At the age of seven years old, lying in my, my, my single bed and sharing a room with my brother, I remember just crying out to God and just crying and crying, God, take my heart, take my heart, take my heart. I didn't really understand who God was, but I just knew I wanted him to be a part of my life. And this would continue throughout my life on the way to cross-country meets. I'd be reading my Bible on the bus, just believing and convincing myself that I would add a few extra steps to my legs in the race. And I remember one time a kid, uh, one of my friends actually took my Bible and started ripping pages out. He just thought it was funny. I didn't really feel persecuted. In fact, the teacher gave him a whole bunch of heck, and I was like, leave him alone. He's okay. And he's like, what do you mean? He just ripped apart your Bible. I'm like, I think he was trying to be funny, you know? 
And I just like, I, everywhere I went, I just wanted people to know this joy that I had found. Fast forward and I'm in my gap year between university, or high school and university and my dad had hired me on at the company that he worked at. And he said to me, he said, listen, he was the boss there and he was like, just don't screw it up for me, okay? And I said, note taken, you know, I'd come in and, and uh, it's a large country, uh, uh, company. Uh, it's uh, a very, well, at the time it was uh, top top. 10 largest companies in the world. And uh, so I was like, no, got it. I'm, I'm not gonna mess this up. But I remember going in and I would just like sneakily try to find everybody who was a Christian. So I remember finding the chief financial officer. I'm like, oh, he's a Christian? So I ta- started talking to him like, hey, we need to run a Bible study around here. Then I found out that the head of HR was a Christian. I'm like, hey, you gotta come to our Bible study. And all of a sudden I found some people on the manufacturing floor and they were Christians. And so I started running this like lunchtime uh, Bible study at this company my dad worked for. And I would bring them into this room and I'm like 17 years old and I would yell at them and I'm like, we aren't doing anything to reach people for Jesus in this company. We gotta do more. And all these like, adults are looking at me like, who's this child coming into our company yelling at us that we're not reaching people for Jesus? And uh, my dad would follow up with me. They're not doing anything that's gonna tarnish my name here, right? And I'm like, not, nothing at all. Just got all the executives in a boardroom and I'm yelling at them for Jesus. And hey, like, that's, that's kind of the way that, that my life looked. And, and in reality, I know that there's a lot of us right now, maybe not all of us are on this page, but I know there's a lot of us that want to see a move of God in our lifetime. I'm not satisfied with stories of old that say that God did move in our country. I'm not satisfied with hearing uh, revivals of old. I'm not interested in just reading historic books and just encouraging myself, but I actually want to see God move in my lifetime. In fact, I wanna see him move in my kids' lifetime. I wanna build a church that outlasts ourselves, but is seeking the next generation. What would it be like to live in such a way as Christians that was benefiting our great-great-grandchildren? This is the type of faith that a lot of us hold in our souls. And yet, the world around us is changing at a rapid rate. And that's why I believe a message that like Peter is addressing to the church in Asia Minor is actually quite applicable to the day and age that we live in today because he's saying, hey, although you live in an environment that doesn't seem to want the faith that you hold, press on so that they may glorify your God in heaven. One of my first meetings with the college when we sat down was with a group of professors. And um, maybe we could just cut this part out on the video feed. <laughs> I'm sitting down with this group of professors, there's about 20 of them, and they sit down and proceed to tell me, what gives you the right to lead this college? You're uneducated. And I was like, well, that sounds like a compliment. <laughs> Thank you for the compliment. I'm leading you and I'm uneducated. This is amazing. And I just remember thinking like, what in the world? And, and, and I had to work through what they were actually meaning in that moment. But I've often come up against intellectual snobbery in my life. And that's okay. And one of the things that intellects are telling us today, and listen, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna come around on this in just a moment. But constantly, if you're reading modern day literature on the Christian faith and how the Christian faith is doing health-wise in North America right now, what you're gonna read is that we are supposedly living in a post-Christian society. Has anybody heard this? Anybody in your reading? It's like, hey, the society, the West right now is living in a post-Christian era. And here's the thing that I have with intellects just reminding us, reminding of, uh, us of this over and over and over again. I have a problem because it offers us no hope for the next generation. 
See, I, I, I might even be willing to accept that we're living in a post-Christian nation, but let's finish the sentence and start believing that maybe just through the power of Jesus Christ, we might actually see a pre-Christian nation once again. Like, what if we started encouraging ourselves once again and saying, you know what, things don't look really good out there, but my God is able. Things aren't looking really great in my neighborhood, but maybe God could do a move here. Hey, things seem pretty godless in my work environment, but what if God started using me as a spark that lit the flame and all of a sudden God started moving right where I find myself. In order to have vision for your world, you have to radically accept reality. So I think it's okay to say, okay, maybe we are in a post-Christian society. But once we accept that reality, we have to move beyond that and say, God, what are you up to? Every God-given vision is really just asking ourselves a question and praying this prayer. God, what are you up to and how can I be about it? I will tell you this, that as much as sometimes it seems like Christians aren't up to much, God is always working something behind the scenes. And when we can pray the prayer that, God, I know you're up to something, show me what you're up to, help me to be a part of it, I guarantee you God will start moving in every single space that you find yourself. But in order to do that, we must radically accept reality. Growing up, I was accepted for all my quirkiness, reading the Bible on the bus, um, preaching to my stuffed animals. I was kind of like accepted because I wasn't seen as harmful, right? Like I would do these things and people would look at me like, oh, he's kind of weird, but he's a nice guy. And, and for a little while, that's the reputation that we as Christians had. Anybody allowed to uh, watch Simpsons growing up? Anybody not allowed to watch Simpsons growing up? Yeah. I wasn't even allowed to have a TV, but my dad basically said, if you smuggle a TV in here, don't watch the Simpsons. I'm like, what's in this? What's in this show, you know? And uh, in reality, the Simpsons isn't the worst thing out there, but there was a character, Ned Flanders, and Ned Flanders is this guy with glasses on. He's a Christian that lives next door to the the Simpsons, and he's always got his shirt all buttoned up, and he's got two kids that are all prim and proper, and he walks up to the Simpsons. He's always got fancy things to say, and, and really, this is the image that the world had of Christianity for quite some time, that, hey, they're, they're a little odd, <laughs> they're straight-laced, but they're, they're nice people. I remember when I would get invited to parties on Friday nights, and I would return, I'd be like, I don't want to go to a party, you want to come to youth group with me? And all my friends would be like, who, like, beer or youth group? Like, no, we're going we're gonna to go party. And I'm like, oh, you would love for you to come to my youth group. My, my pastor's there, he's so cool. And all my friends would look at me like, He's so strange, but he's a nice guy. Like, he's a nice guy. And so for years, when I would read this passage, and I would go over 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, I didn't even pause. Because in reality, I had no reason to stop on it, because it didn't speak to me. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, I wouldn't have stopped on this verse growing up because who's accusing me of doing wrong? I'm, I'm showing God's love. I might be weird, but I'm a good guy. And for years, and even now, if we're not attentive to what's happening in society, we might just think, yeah, they think I'm weird, but we're, we're, we're good. 
See, in recent years, what's actually happened in society, this idea of the post-Christian label that's been passed on to the church and onto society and into the era in which we find ourselves today, what we have found is that the world is no longer looking at the church as odd but good people. They're looking at us as odd and actually bad people. See, a lot of the values that you and I hold when it comes to things like sexuality or the, the starting point of birth or politics or whatever else that might be, these things are in direct opposition to what a lot of the world is holding as values in their own lives now. See, for years I would, I would push this off. I wouldn't even notice it because what do you mean the world looks at me as, as bad? And I lament a world where growing up, everybody looked at Brandon, hey, he's a great guy. A little strange, but he's a great guy. Whereas now if I'm to show up to a high school re- uh, reunion, they actually see me as a threat to their way of life and the values that they hold so deeply. And nothing has changed in my life except for the world continues to move on and I am left feeling what in the world is going on. At one point, I believe that I would have said that the greatest danger that faces Christians on things like social media would be comparison. And in reality, I don't know if you're on social media, but isn't that a great danger of the world of social media? Every time you go on, you're like, wow, my gosh, like City Church actually had people show up on a long weekend. (laughs) I don't know if it's a church plant thing, but everybody just leaves. (laughs) Man, like this person's got this going. And comparison would have been the biggest, one of the biggest things that I was aware of in my world. But today, as many of my friends begin to retreat from social media because they can't handle the pressures of what the last few years have offered them, I begin to realize, you know, one of the greatest threats that we have is deeming that we are so persecuted that we don't have a voice in a world that desperately needs Jesus. Has anybody felt comfortable, like, commenting on anything in society over the last couple of years? You just think through the pandemic, some of the things that we walked through, and then even past then, just like, I think like a few of us like tried to add to the conversation. We got burned and we're like, okay, never mind. Like we are scared to just like post anything. Something good happens in the world. They're like, can I, can I like Canada Day anymore? Like Pastor Brent got up here. He's like, hey, happy Canada Day, everybody. I was like, oh my gosh, Pastor Brent, you're going to get canceled. I just don't know what, like, am I allowed to wear a shirt? Any, like, I don't, I don't know what offends anybody anymore. And I think what we, <laughs> a shirt, people are like, that's really, that's going to be your example? <laughs> Please, pastor, wear a shirt. <laughs> but not too, that is offensive. But man, we are living in a world where we are so scared to put our next head online on anything for fear that we'll be canceled or maybe let go from a position or, or not be able to show up at family dinners anymore because we just said something that we didn't even realize would offend somebody. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a very different place than we did a decade ago. We're no longer are we seen as odd, but they're still good people. We're seen as they're kind of odd and we don't really agree with what they believe. So what do we do? Give up. Just give up. Go hide at home. Go home. Go straight home after service. Don't go anywhere else. Hide with your family. Just say prayers. Avoid your neighbors. Make sure you get an automatic garage door opener so you can drive into your house, close it, and you're away from the world. It's been great being here at City Church, everybody. (laughs) I think this is where the message of Peter has, has got to get inside of us. 
He says these words, in this environment, live such good lives that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's so like anti-rational, but it's so smart. In the midst of a world that doesn't see you as good, live such good lives that through the test of time, they may see your lives and glorify God on the day he visits. So what does a good life look like? If our call is to live a good life, what does it look like? I think a lot of us were like, at the beginning of this message, we're all like, yeah, I wanna live a good life. And it's like, all right, this is how you get more vacations. This is how you can buy a vacation home. This is how you can pay off your mortgage. And all those things like the good life. And yet Peter's starting point is much different from us. In fact, he starts this whole address to the church in Asia Minor with these words, and it's like, okay, well, this isn't as encouraging anymore. Abstain from sinful desires. Every life found in Christ starts with the words of Christ. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. See, one of the things that we have to realize is that even though the world differs in its definition of morality, it is the life that Christians live out amongst the world that we find ourselves in that will provide the contrast they need to understand who our God is. Now, here's the great thing. I wanna encourage you right before we jump into abstaining from sinful desires, here's the great thing. God knows we really stink at this. And so even those of us that are struggling with abstaining from sinful desires, because of what Christ has done on the cross, even in our sin, we have a contrast to offer the world that is, even when I'm not doing well, my God still somehow walks with me and that's why, how he, why he's so good. So we have two options, to live the good life or to recognize we're not living the good life and keep pointing people towards Jesus. We win either way in culture by living this good life out. But let's start with repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Let's start with abstaining from sinful desires. See, what most of us do when we're trying to abstain from sinful desires is we look at sin and we're like, oh my gosh, I gotta avoid that thing, right? And we see it and we're like, I gotta get away from this sin. Oh my goodness. Sorry. Sometimes I wonder why Emma even offers to come, to come to me to speak. I apologize. Anyway, we see the sin, we're like, we gotta get away from it. And, and, and so many of us are, are actually doing this. I'm, I'm simplifying it because Brent only gave me five minutes. And I'm already 20 minutes over. That's <laughs> not true. He gave me, he said, go as long as you want, as long as it's only five minutes. Um, Stay away from sin. And some of us are doing this right now in our lives and we go, well, I gotta stay away from that thing. I gotta stay away from that addiction. I gotta stay away from that, that online activity. I gotta stay away from And what we do in trying to avoid sin is we so often just find ourselves in other sin. <laughs> because if the main goal in our lives is simply to abstain from sin, it doesn't mean that we find ourselves with Jesus. See, I learned a long time ago that the most effective way to run from sin is not to look at sin and try to get away from it, but is to find Jesus and run to him. When you're looking at sin, trying to get away from it, it doesn't mean that you're going to get to Jesus. But 
When you look at Jesus and you continually walk in his direction and in his truth and in his life, you are always walking away from sin. So this is the difference. When, you, when Peter's saying abstain from sin, he said, hey, set your eyes on Christ. Follow in the direction. Don't just run, but follow. Make your life worth something. Follow Jesus and you will leave these things behind. And as you take greater steps towards him, whether it is in forgiveness or just walking in the truth and the mercy of his goodness, you will set an example for those that live around you and they will want what you have. And at that point, you get to point them and say, what's different about your life? Well, I'm just running in the direction of my savior. He goes on to say, so that's the first point. Living a good life, let's walk in the direction of Jesus. Let's live, leave our old ways behind. Secondly, he talks, about, he talks about living among them. Throughout the, the letter that Peter writes to the church, um, he constantly refers to the environment they find themselves in as Babylon. Now, they're not actually in Babylon, but he's drawing on Old Testament references to Babylon, Babylon as an archetype of evil, an evil and an oppressive uh, regime and, 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 and difficult things that are taking place. And so he actually, he instructs them to live this life among the pagans. Now, it can be so easy to overlook this point because we think of living good lives and I'm joking about retreating with our families. But as soon as we realize we're not welcome in the world, there's like, there's a bunch of different things that start to rise up inside of us as people of Jesus, as, as followers of Jesus. It's the same responses that have existed for, for thousands of years. Some of us, we want to fight. And man, like I've got, I've got a number of those around me. We live out in the country and like one out of every five cars has a massive Canadian flag just like whipping in the wind. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, okay. We're in this, we're now in an era where that, that's, that's what we do. Like they, you can just tell there's a fight. They've got, they've got um, Love Trudeau stickers on the back of their truck. <laughs> Love Trudeau stickers, yeah. I can't say what they actually say in church. You're like, wait, what? Canadian flag and love? That doesn't mix. It doesn't. It doesn't. I'm just not. Or for, so, for a lot of us, we want to flight. We want, we want to retreat. We actually do want to create that environment where we go, well, if the world is so bad, let's just, let's just keep to ourselves. And yet, over and over again, within Scripture, including this letter from Peter, he's saying, no, 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 no. This life must be lived amongst the people, <laughs> We can't retreat. The early church was not known for fighting against the Roman oppressors. And it wasn't even just known for running from Roman oppressors. One of the biggest reasons the early church spread as quickly as it did, where it went from being persecuted in year 30, 40 to 70 AD to actually becoming like the, 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 uh, the religion of the empire in 300 AD. One of the biggest reasons is they would go to martyrdom saying, Jesus has changed my life. And I think in a world where we have gotten used to the comforts that have existed because we are good but odd people, and as some of those comforts begin to erode, it's important for some of us to realize that it's okay to be uncomfortable while living at our faith. It's okay to not feel accepted in every environment. It's okay to feel like 
a little hostile, like, like somebody's hostile towards you at a family gathering because you are a follower of Jesus. And yet, you can live a life that inspires those around you. You don't have to fight them. You don't have to run away from them. You can quite literally live out this good life amongst them. I was pretty protected as a child. As I said, we weren't allowed to have a TV. Um, we grew up and we had a radio, but we um, weren't allowed to listen to like songs on the radio. We got to listen to the Leafs game, which was awesome, like we were living in 1950, um, which I didn't. I'm a little bit younger than that in case you didn't realize. Um, and we got to listen to Keith Green. Keith Green's amazing. I don't know if anybody remembers Keith Green, but that was cool. Um, but one thing my dad didn't have a pulse on was going over to my friend's houses. And I would go over to my one friend's house quite often. And it was strange. Like it was, it was interesting. I walked into his garage the first time when I was young. We had moved there when, we, when I was about seven or eight. And I walked into his, his dad's garage because it was his dad's garage. It was a three-car garage. It was beautiful. Um, but you go in the garage and, and plastered over all of the walls were um, the previous calendar girls that he would just have, I guess. And I just remember walking into this environment. There's no clothes. Uh, and I just remember being like, that's interesting. I just like put my head down. I'm like, I don't think I'm supposed to see this. Um, I just like go over to his house, not thinking much of it. And every once in a while we would go, we were, I'd be allowed to play in his house. And I'd go down to the basement and it was strange because they would just allow their small little dog to just do its business all over the basement. I remember like as a kid, we'd, my, my friend would be like, oh, wear your shoes down here because like it's kind of gross. And I'm like, no kidding. We'd be like clearing a path to play ping pong. And I'm like, this is disgusting. Now this is a pretty extreme example of having to discern what's going on in an environment. But that's, that's my early years of discerning. Something's off here. And one of the things Peter's trying to encourage the church that is being heavily persecuted is he's trying to give them permission to spiritually diagnose that things aren't all right in the environment they find themselves in. And I think some of us need to realize that it's okay to do that in the places that you find yourself in. Uh, We can't bring good to something that we haven't spiritually discerned as bad. Uh, We can't start to be the light in an environment where we haven't realized that darkness is present. But we also can't be the light unless we're in dark places. And the reality is, is that we're not called to retreat from this world, but we are called to equip ourselves with spiritual armor and the Holy Spirit inside of us and march with good intentions and the love of God and a message that nobody is too far gone. And that's the place that we will start seeing transformation in the world that we find ourselves in. So as the world begins to change around us, don't run, don't fight, show up with the Holy Spirit and watch watch God do something amazing. I just have one final point to make. Well, actually, Peter does on what this good life looks like. And he says this, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So they might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. I think most of us in the room right now are are fans of Jesus. I'm a big fan of Jesus. And I wish that we were 
bigger fans of Jesus. We were at the Jays game yesterday and like people are going nuts over home runs. And sometimes I come to church and I'm like, why aren't we more excited about what God's doing? Like, it's way bigger than what just happened here. And you have people that are just losing their minds. Now, we also don't sell alcohol at church, so that probably also impacts our level of excitement. Um, but like, man, I'm a big fan of Jesus. You ask my kids, like they're in these, they're so young that they're in these little arguments with their kids at school. They'll be like, they're like, um, you know, my dad's bigger than your dad. And then some, somebody will be like, yeah, but you know, Godzilla's bigger than your dad. And then, and then my, my son, who doesn't even know who Godzilla is, will come home and he's like, dad, is Godzilla bigger than you? And I'm like, he's not real, but yeah, he'd be a lot bigger than me. And, uh, and he's like, okay, Jesus is bigger than Godzilla, right? And I'm like, again, Godzilla's not real, but, but yeah, buddy, like Jesus is bigger than Godzilla. Metaphysically, I don't think, that it all equates, like theologically, I don't think any of this, but they're in this, they're in this season of their lives where Jesus is bigger, right? Jesus is bigger, right? Man, I'm a big Jesus guy. And I believe the words that Jesus says. And so when Jesus says these words, I am the light of the world, we all go, go get him, Jesus. You are the light of the world. When we hear these words say, I am the light of the world, we're like, yes, Jesus, Come to my neighborhood, it's dark. Come to my workplace, it's dark. Come to the spaces I find myself, it's dark. I'm a big Jesus guy, and I'm a big believer in inviting God into all the areas that we find ourselves in. But man, Matthew chapter five flips that all on its head when he says this, you are the light of the world. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And then it goes on to say, almost like Peter was plagiarizing Jesus' own words. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Man, at the beginning of this message, when I was saying, I wanna see a pre-Christian nation, we were all excited. But man, are we, are we as excited to do the work to see that become a reality? We're all about Jesus doing big things in dark places, but are we willing to hear his words that we are to do big things in dark places? Are we willing to realize that we are part of the call that he's placed on our lives? Are we, are we willing to realize that as the head of his church, he is waiting for the arms and the legs to move so that he might operate in the places that he wants to operate? There's a story that a guy named John Tyson records in, I believe the book was A Beautiful Resistance. It's a, it's a story about a guy named Jean-Dominique Bobet. Sounds like a Tour de France writer. And he was... Uh, the French editor for Elle magazine. And at the age of 40, he had a, a stroke that left him in, a, in a, um, a coma for over 20 days. And there was a documentary that was made on his life or a movie, and it was called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. And um, in this documentary, it reflects um, the reality that this man found, found himself in. Where at the age of 40, he was completely shut out from the rest of the world. In fact, he had this syndrome that was called locked-in syndrome. And the scary nature, like this, I'm never gonna watch this 
Like I got enough from reading it in this book. I'm not gonna watch this. You can go watch this. This sounds like a horror movie. But he couldn't, nothing, he was paralyzed. His entire body was paralyzed and everybody thought he was just dead. Until finally a doctor or a nurse began to realize that he could communicate with his eye. One eye. (laughs) He was just sitting there lifeless. They thought he was still in a coma and then all of a sudden they began to realize he's blinking and trying to communicate with everybody around him. And so what they started doing is they started putting letters in front of him. They go through the alphabet and they go A, B, C, D, and he'd blink and that was the letter that he chose. And so he started communicating like this. In fact, the whole documentary was written over the course of weeks and months by him just blinking out letters so he could communicate. Everybody on the outside thought he was dead, but everything on the inside was fully alive. And John Tyson wrote this about the church and it really irked me. Not because I thought he was wrong, but because sometimes I feel like I'm living out of the very reality that he was addressing. And I'll finish with this. John Tyson writes in A Beautiful Resistance, in some sense, we suffer from a form of locked-in syndrome. Christ, our head, full of vision, longing, and passion for the world, aches to be able to express himself through a functioning body. But something seems to have happened, some kind of spiritual stroke. Only a portion of our potential is being realized while Jesus blinks out his vision through a fraction of his church. City Church, could we be a part of that fraction? Just saying, God, whatever you're up to in my community, help me to be about it. Whatever you're trying to do in my workplace, help me to be about it. When I'm scared of a world that I don't understand, help me to keep living such a good life that they might see you and glorify you on the day you return. Father, can I be a part of your plan? Can we stand up in this place? I just have two questions to ask us in this room and I would love to pray for two groups of people. And the first group is just, Those of us that are here that already know Jesus, but we just feel like, man, I've been inactive, I've been fearful, or I've just just not known how to operate in this new environment. I wanna be more effective for Christ. With every head, I don't have to bow your heads. I don't know why we always say that in church, like somehow bowing our heads is like the key. But closing your eyes might offer some privacy to people around you. So as everybody just closes their eyes, if that's you in this place and you're just going, man, I want, I have a desire, I have a burning desire to be used by God. I need his strength. If that's you, can you just raise a hand? I just want to pray for you. Yeah, all across this place. My hand's raised as well as I get convicted every time I'm reminded of this passage. Father, you see every hand that's raised in this place. Father, you see what we are struggling with. You see our hopes, you see our desires. Father, you've seen how we have veered from your path for our life over the last little while. And God, what we are praying for in this moment is that you would do in us what we cannot do on our own. Father, be the strength that we don't seem to have in our own strength. Father, be the guiding light so that as we try to attempt to shine the light you've given us, that we can have hope that you've already gone before us shining bright in places that are often suffocating to the vision that we have for the places we live. God, I pray that in this room that you would raise up men and women, boys and girls, that would go out and shine a light so bright that we would see a turning of the tides in our nation. 
Father, I pray that a nation that has been proclaimed as post-Christian would see itself one day known as a Christian nation, not because we got prayer back in the schools, but because the church was praying all along, because that prayer began to do things in the places that we found ourselves, and because people started calling on the name of the Lord once again. And Jesus, we know you can do it, so we ask that you would do it through us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. I just wanna pray for one more group of people. Maybe you wandered into this place and you're seeing me get all passionate and you've never actually made a decision to follow this, this Jesus. You know, as Christians, we often try to simplify people's lives and overcomplicate the gospel's application to that. And I really believe that God came to simplify his message. I love you, you messed up, you need me. You have a very complicated life. This world is not easy, but the message of Christ is simple. You can't earn salvation. You can't work yourself into a relationship with God. And that's why he had to come to do it. And Romans says, whoever believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved. So for those of us in this room that have never made that decision, but you're going, hey, I, I think I think something's happening in me. I, I wanna follow Jesus. Again, with every eye closed in this place, if that's you, I'm not gonna point you out, but I am gonna f- say a, a final prayer here. If you're here today and you're going, I want to make a, de- a decision to follow Jesus this morning, can you just raise your hand just so I know who I'm praying for? Yeah, like, I, I'm not gonna point you out. You don't have to, yeah, thank you. You don't have to be worried about me pulling you up on stage, but I just wanna pray for you in this moment. Anybody else? Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Anyone else? Just going, today's the day. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Jesus, we just wanna thank you in this moment for hearts, lives, souls, stories, people that you love so desperately that you were willing to give your life. God, I thank you that right now they're turning back and saying, I need you, God. Father, in this very moment, I pray that your spirit would come in and remind them that they have a life that they can look forward to through what you've done done for them. God, we know that tomorrow, each hand that was raised just a moment ago might wake up in the very same context they found themselves in today. But God, I pray through the power of your spirit, they would wake up differently, able to face that day with you on their side. Jesus, I pray that you would remind them when they feel weak that it is based on what you've done for them, not based on what they've done against you. Jesus, in this moment, we thank you for what you're doing in every life that has said, I wanna follow Jesus. And we pray, Father, that you would guide and direct them. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you, church. Hey, if that is you this morning, you either made the first time decision to follow Christ or rededicate your life to Christ. We are so excited about that choice you made today. Um, There's a connect card in the seat pocket in front of you. We ask you take a second, fill that card out, check off the appropriate box. We have some materials that we would love to give to you, put into your hand free of charge. 
Uh, this is just a one-time moment, but Jesus has called us all to be disciples. That means being a lifelong learner. And the materials that we want to give you will help you on that discipleship journey. But we are so glad that you made that decision today. Well, thanks for coming to church today on this long weekend. Just a couple of reminders. If you want to come to Scott Mission on the 28th, you can sign up for that at the info desk. Young adults this Saturday, Kelso Beach, you guys are going to have a great time. And then with, um, you know, it being summer and Canada Day weekend, we actually have a special treat. And there's nothing more Canadian than donuts. So we have some donuts in the lobby. Um, If you came to church this morning hoping to have somebody to pray with you or for you, some of our church leaders will be up here at the stage immediately after service is dismissed. They're making their way up right now. If you're facing any sickness and disease, any other difficult situation, and you would like someone to agree with you in prayer, you can make your way up after this service is dismissed, which is right now. Thanks for coming to church. Have a great weekend. You are dismissed.